Hey guys, so uh, we've got Gary Jubilant on the podcast. So Gary, you're a, uh, a detective for uh, how many how many years? 34 uh, 30, years? 34 years I was in the New South Wales uh, cops and uh, probably 20, so 25 of those years was as a major crime homicide detective. So, yeah. Um, it says that you're um, one of Australia's most... Uh, recognised detectives up until the the infamous William Tyrrell case. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny how uh, how life plays out. But uh, yeah, my career was going along well. I was a, a detective chief inspector at uh, Homicide, and uh, I ran uh, the William Tyrrell matter for four four years. I took it over six months after uh, William disappeared, and then uh, then. I suppose a uh, way of describing it is the shit hit the fan. There was allegations against me um, for recording conversations with a person I was speaking to about the William Tyrrell um, matter. I, I'm not making any apologies for it. The courts have ruled against me and uh, said I, I shouldn't have done it. I believe I had a right to do it and that was to protect my lawful interests. So one thing led to another and I ended up leaving, leaving the uh, cops in rather controversial and dramatic circumstances. I, I might say I didn't get sacked. I decided to resign when an organisation that sort of turned and I thought, okay, well, I can see the writing on the wall and it was time to, uh, time to get out and I, I made the decision to leave the, leave the cops. Because that's sort of what's happening. There's, there's some similarities uh, because you're quoted as, as saying uh, a couple of times that um, the, the job sort of changed over the uh, sort of over the years. There's no the force has changed, and there's no place for people like you in it now. Uh, yeah, I, I I really felt that that it got to the point where uh, when when they pulled this uh, this stunt on me, I thought, well, what are you trying to tell me here? It, it felt like uh, I was a um, the person that the world had passed by, and uh, I one thing I, I in the cops, I kept myself relevant. I was, at, you know, I think at the sharp end of what I was doing for a very long time, and uh, it wasn't sort of I put the cue in the rack, but uh, I got the sense that the organisation didn't want uh, people like myself in there. Um, there was an informal power ba uh, uh, power base that I had because I was such an experienced homicide detective, and. Uh, I think that uh, might have ruffled a few feathers. I, in hindsight, whether I, I did anything different, I, I think it's a smart play in any organisation to keep some uh, people on side above you. But uh, I like the fact that I wasn't beholding to anyone in the cops and uh, I just did my thing and I did what I considered to be the right thing, but uh, it came back to uh, bite me. Because that's happening, that whole thing of... I dare say there's not one Australian that would have said you shouldn't have done what you did or you see like mum and dad average everyday Australians are like they would have thought it was just as much a travesty as everybody else and you we, we constantly get this um, you get you get society's today morning show version of it and then you get the actually behind the scenes um, what people actually think in their houses. And I don't think anyone w would have argued about what you did, mate. 
Yeah, look, I, I, it was a strange experience. I walked into court and uh, as a cop for as long as I was, I, I took people to court. I didn't get taken to court myself, but walking into the steps of uh, down in Centre Court in Sydney with the media out the front and uh, a group of people cheering me as I'm walking in. So that was sort of a, a strange, I, I didn't really know what to do. Was I meant to give them a wave or whatever? I've, I've been a bad person. I've, I've been before the courts. And I, I'm, I'm not sort of making light of it, but... Uh, I still maintain that what I did uh, in recording those conversations was to protect my lawful interests. I, I, I make no apology for going hard on investigations. You know, we're talking the abduction of a three-year-old child and uh, I will go hard, but uh, I still, and it's probably been to my detriment because I didn't show contrition, um, I still maintain what I did was the right thing to do in the set of circumstances. Would I do it again? Yeah, I'm a bit slow on the uptake, but uh, I learned by mistakes. If I knew I was going to lose my career on it, I'd probably make a, yeah, I'd, I'd have a think about it. But with circumstances the way they presented themselves uh, at the time, I made an operational decision and I stand by that decision. So, do you think, um, like, do you, th do you think there is a cultural problem in the cops? I know from the outside, the, the way the world's kind of changing, same with the Defence Force at the moment. The media is making out that there is a cultural problem, but they're looking at the cultural problem being there's a bloke's world and it's it's too archaic and we need to change and go forward. But from the inside, it feels like there's a cultural problem in the opposite direction. It's like hierarchy is trying to please the PC crowd in an environment where you cannot be PC, like it, police and, and military, yeah. same crossover. Do you think there is that kind of cultural drama with the cops now where, where hierarchies focus too much on their own celebrity and, and, and proving to politicians in the world that they're super politically correct to the detriment there, of the actual job itself? I hear what you're saying, Adrian, and there, there's a, yeah, the way, uh, the way things are in the cops at the moment, we're very risk adverse. And uh, I can say this, and yeah, one thing I can comment on is, uh, yeah, how you lock up the bad guys in major crime, because I've been doing it a long time and I've earned the right to uh, talk on that. You've got to take risks and risks, aren't necessarily, well, they're not breaking the law, but it's pushing the envelope and, uh, and taking risks to get breakthroughs on the tough cases. Yeah, you know, I, I do a lot of cases that are we call the smoking gun type murders, and it, it's very simple. You just, you know, follow the, the elephant through the snow <laughs> to find the, uh, find the offender. But on the, on the more difficult uh, cases, you've got to think outside the square, draw on your experience. Now, I think in an organisation like the uh, police, and I, I suggest that to the army, uh, as well with the uh, with the military, that sometimes that's uh, it ruffles people's feathers, and they want to. Um, I I've said this with the the police, and it, it probably gets me into more trouble, or you know doesn't uh, make me popular. But uh, the role of a police officer is very simple. You're a public servant, and uh, as the name would imply, you're there to serve the public. Now that was my focus during my career. I think there's. Uh, people in positions of power within the police that uh, see it as a way of furthering their own careers. And I never thought that's what it was about. I got to the stage in my career when uh, I would meet the victims of uh, murdered people, the, the families, um, and I would say to them that I will do everything humanly possible to find out what's happened to your, your loved one and uh, that my loyalty would lie to you, not necessarily the police. So if the police have uh, stuffed something up, I'll put my hand up and say, look, we could have done it better, could have done it differently. I don't like this sort of uh, let's close ranks and uh, um, 
there's no exposure there. I, I think the, the pressure and uh, the scrutiny is sometimes deserved. But we've also got to accept that when I walk into an interview room to speak to someone about a murder, they don't just put their hands up. And I'm not talking about doing anything uh, wrong, but uh, it's an intense environment. You know, it's, uh, we're in there to uh, find out why this person was murdered. So yeah, it's a, it's a tough world and uh, you learn from experience, but you don't have to, you can still maintain your moral compass. You don't have to um, you know, lose direction. You don't have to break, break rules. You do what's got to be done, but you know the parameters you work in and you work in that and you work hard. Some people don't like taking those risks as, yeah, <laughs> I would have had a stellar career if I just stayed there and didn't take a risk and make sure my car diary was uh, up to date and I'd done my uh, CMS and all the management stuff. But uh, that's not the way I operated. Yeah, I mean, so that's, that's the way to get promoted really quickly and have a polished uniform, but you don't actually get shit done. Which I mean, I think yeah. that's that's where where people go into a, a, a position like cops or like like military, and it's like there's two distinct, different personality types. There is one that wants to get elevated in their position as quickly as possible, and there's one that wants to achieve outcome and purpose through their job as much as possible. Yeah, and oftentimes those two people butt heads. So we well look, I I, th I think there's similarities in what uh, what you're talking there from the military organisations and 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 the cops in that uh, the type of people that I look for on a strike course when I had to put a, a team together, I, I didn't look for clones of myself. I looked for all all types of uh, personality types and and skill set, and I think think that's important. But I also look for people that were focused on what we're doing. Yeah, you know, and and the majority of my career was spent in homicide, so. I wanted people that had the eye on the ball to catch the killer, not uh, people that were looking, oh, this will look good on my resume, that, that type of thing. And I, I think we lose a little bit uh, in an organisation when uh, those people come into play. I have no problem whatsoever with different skill sets. Like there's people that are more management orientated than I would be. I was operational. I, I like to be out on the streets. I like to be at the, the, the sharp end of the, the policing. Other people were um, more inclined to management. That's fine. That's fine. But I, I think where the crossover is, where the management style think that uh, they know better than the operational uh, uh, operational uh, operatives, and that's where the clashes occur. So yeah, there must have been that. I mean, that's that's exactly the the the, the similarities are uncanny with the with the military, and um, I've just separated from it. So. Uh, it's it's definitely a completely different. It's the same experience, but um, yeah. Because how, how do you deal with you were a detective for so long, making these promises to people, and and so you know, I mean, I guess it's pretty close to when it sort of happened. An, inc yeah. an incident. Is there emotional burnout? Is there where you just stop caring, but you still like a zombie moving forward, or is does it take its toll? Yeah. Or, or you. you, you uh, I, I, I definitely changed person the way I am now than uh, what I was when I, I joined the cops. Obviously, you, you evolve and, and change. It does take a it does take a bit out of you in uh, homicide investigation. Like I, I don't think there's a murder investigation that uh, you know you'd do somewhere you'd do an on call job and you'd be involved for forty eight hours and uh, and that you'd turn up at the crime scene. It was fairly obvious who was responsible. But the long term ones where you get to know the families, you've got to give a lot of yourself and. I said to people that were aspiring to be homicide detectives, and I still say it now, if you want to be a homicide detective, you've got to be prepared to bleed for the job because it's a very serious um, uh, serious 
responsibility you're taking to track down a killer. So the families, what I what I did find with the the families that I dealt with over the years, and some have become very uh, very close friends, is that uh, I got. I was drawing on energy from them. Sometimes when, and I worked on some very long investigations, sometimes when uh, I was at that burnout point, I'd, I'd speak to the victims, catch up with the victims, or just see you know, how important it was the work that I was doing, and so little things like that. When I, when I got into um, trouble with the cops, the people that reached out the most to me were the victims, and that meant more to me than anything that uh, the police could have done or, or didn't do uh, for me. So. But um, yeah, there were times where I, uh, I, I thought, Jesus, I don't want to uh, do this anymore. And just the darkness of the world, especially when you, you're talking to crooks a lot and you're spending a lot of time with crooks. And there was a couple of times on, on big investigations where I just didn't want to get out of bed because I just didn't want to face that evil again. And uh, you feel dirty and drained after you come away from it. But uh, I, was, I was lucky. I sort of had a, a well, it was fairly resilient and I had a pretty good bounce back when uh, when I was down so what were the what because what, I mean we're all about trying to find those high performing people in high stress jobs that did you did you know these things were happening did you have a fair amount of, of emotional intelligence or you sort of develop that over the years and go and like oh I'm not tracking I need to find some coping some some stuff that, that yeah. will improve my performance People close to me probably say I've got no emotional intelligence, but we'll, we'll debate that. I'd uh, I'd like to think I've got a little bit, and I do uh, do learn. I'm improving as we go along. <laughs> um, the the way that uh, the way that we uh, or or I dealt with it and uh, balance it out and. Uh, a long, long time ago, I got involved. I've always been fit. Well, when I got into the police, I was, yeah, when you're a young fellow, you're, you're naturally fit. But when I got into the cops, I got into my training and, uh, yeah, had a training regime that uh, I keep doing every every day. And uh, it's very rare that I, I don't train. Also got into some um, meditation and that was through um, martial arts. And that was about 25 years ago or even longer. And people thought, what's this weird hippie dipshit stuff that you're doing? You're, you're meditating or standing on your head or, or whatever. And uh, I used to get paid out uh, quite a bit about it. And, uh, yeah, all in uh, good good nature, but the, the way mates uh, pay out on you. But 25, I think 25 years ago, uh, that's the pre, pre-uptake as well, isn't it? That's pre-mainstream yeah. yoga, latte, sipping, yeah? Oh, I, I was this weird dude in the in the yoga class or the meditation class going what what's this bloke doing and uh, I don't know where, where and then when I mentioned that I was a cop they just they couldn't <laughs> even comprehend what the hell I was doing in that uh, in that space but um, everyone's panicking dumping doobies out the window <laughs> oh yeah I, I know it's going to, you're going to lock us up but uh, but <laughs> I found that was a that was a good balance for the intensity of the cops and. Uh, Something drove me towards that. And uh, what I actually, um, and I, I know the type of things you guys are into in, in the balance and, uh, and that. When I was doing some martial arts, there was a Sifu I was uh, training under and uh, I couldn't believe what he could. Where is this stuff coming from? Like, how, how do you do that? And then uh, from the hard training, I, I was very fit when I, I started um, the martial arts and it kept me fit, but I was getting sick all the time. I'd walk past someone with a cold and, you know, my immune system was run down, so it wasn't sort of balanced. I was doing all the hard training. And uh, this Sifu said, you know, maybe you've got to do some more soft training, stretching and meditation and that type of thing. And I thought, oh, well, yeah, you seem to know, know your stuff, so I'll, I'll give it a go. 
And from that, though, I got that balance. So my training has always been hard and soft. I, I try to balance it out. I don't get it right all the time because sometimes if I've got shits, I'll go for a run or go boxing or whatever when the best thing for me to sit down would have been just to uh, still the mind and do a bit of uh, meditation. But what I have found, and in a long answer to getting back to your question, the way I've balanced it out by giving having that skill set when I am spinning out of control in the cops, like I come from a murder scene and you walk into a family Christmas party, it's pretty hard to sit there and, you know, you've just seen something gruesome or you, you've locked up a bad guy. It's pretty hard to just switch straight into the family mode. And I'm sitting there and I'm feeling, you know, feeling really distant. But if this comes under the heading of emotional intelligence, because of the meditation and all that, I could identify that uh, I wasn't operating the uh, yeah at the same pace as what you should in society. I, I was operating a bit quicker, and it, it sort of played out in you lose patience. When I've been, I know like sometimes we'd get called out on a job and you'd be out for twenty four hours or, or longer, and you're making decision after decision. Especially as, as yeah, I got more and more uh, experience and senior, you're making uh, decisions on on the fly. And you'd get home or you'd be someone uh, somewhere and you'd say, where do you want to go for dinner? And someone would sort of arm and ar and you go, come on, where would you want to go for dinner? You sort of jump in really quickly. And and then you realise, okay, that, that's my shit, not your shit. That's, uh, but that's the intensity. So the, the balance of the training I got sort of allowed me to see that, if that makes sense. Makes sense to me anyway. No, 100%, especially the dinner comment, mate, especially when you've been banging decisions all day in high stress and you're like, what do you want for dinner? Like, I don't give a fuck. And they're like, no, what do you want? <laughs> yeah. 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 It, well, that, that's, yeah, you, you get that. And you realize you're out of step with, uh, out of step with people. And uh, I, uh, something that I would check myself with, if I walk down the street in the city and uh, three people have annoyed me in the 100 meters for doing nothing, I'm thinking it's probably my shit, not their <laughs> shit. And uh, so on, on that. So that's where I would come home and just do a bit of meditation or, or whatever and the other thing I like to do is start the day doing a physical workout because that's my time and uh, in the cops you never know where your uh, your day is going to take you or when you're going to come home or when you're going to get a chance to train so if I got my training out of the way I really didn't give a shit what happened for the rest of the day because uh, I, I'd had my my time and uh, you know I could deal with stuff uh, stuff that Came up. Yeah, because the world can't mess with you at five in the morning when you're at the gym and nobody's they can't mess with you if they're not awake, eh? So <laughs> Yeah, it's a good it's a good time. <laughs> Cause you've actually got you're yeah. pretty into the meditation stuff. You've got uh you've got a tattoo meditation or om tattoo on your on your bicep, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. And uh that what that was about. I, I got some other other stuff and uh it's that yin yang way of approaching uh, approaching yep. life. And uh, I, I like the hard, but I like the soft. And, and that's, I, I'm not religious as such, but that's how I try to live my life and, uh, and keep, it in, keep it in balance. So I got that on one side and then uh, some um, other stuff on, on the other side that's sort of saying, well, yeah, I'm not going anywhere. I, I, I think what we're saying is I'd rather uh, yeah, die on my feet than live on my knees. And uh, I, I think that is the way I try to live my life. And that reminds me to, you know, don't buckle under the pressure and, uh, yeah, I, I don't mind taking my knocks. Um, uh, it's all part, part of life. But uh, the OM symbol is just balance it out because you do need the soft side and you've got to remember you can't be hard 
all the time. So that that's that's sort of my little philosophy. Okay, is that, that is that your quote? I'd rather die on my feet than than live on my knees because that what is going to be stolen for a t-shirt next week. <laughs> that's a is, is that yours? <laughs> no, I I've, I've read it somewhere. It's on. It's also because um, I, I I had a look at the source of where it came from, but I think it's a classic uh, comment and. Uh, I know it was in one of the Midnight Oil songs. It was a protest song, and uh, rather uh, die on my feet than live on my knees, uh, or live on your knees. And I, I just think that's so cool. Like, and, yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's how I, I would prefer to, uh, you know, if someone had to describe me, I'd like them to describe me that that way because, uh, yeah, I, I do get myself beat up because I don't back down sometimes. And uh, yeah, because yeah. and this goes into so your portrayal on Underbelly uh, of. Are you yeah. happy with with how they characterised you? Yeah, yeah. And look, I um with the underbelly stuff, that was an interesting experience in in itself. You know, when they uh, when they approached me and said uh, they uh, um you know want to do a TV series about the investigation you're running, and I thought, well, that that's pretty cool. And I think most people would if yeah, there was a lot of people saying, oh, I wouldn't like that, and I I, I call bullshit on that, like. <laughs> Yeah, make a TV series about something you're doing doing at work. It was a bit of fun. It was confronting watching your private life play out on national TV. But um, the bloke that, uh, yeah, your relationships and all the stuff that goes with that. But the um, the bloke that played me, Matt Navel, they introduced us um, to see if I was comfortable with uh, him playing me. And, and he just got it. Like he... I, I, we're good mates now, and uh, we, we catch up a fair, fair bit. But uh, he understood where I was coming from and uh, what I was about. So the portrayal on Underbelly, and you, you see that uh, I lose my shit sometimes, and uh, yeah, it's fa- fairly intense. I make no secret when when the job's on. Yeah, I'll, I'll be barking out things, and uh, it's not about nice niceties. Sometimes I say the job's on. I haven't got time to say hello, so let's get into it, and blah blah blah. But I like to think how it played out too. There was that, that soft side and that's that yin-yang thing. So I, I, a lot of people join the cops uh, because they don't like bullies. I, I think that's that's part of, part of uh, who I am, uh, that I, I don't like bullies either. And uh, people might say, but look how aggressive you are when you're, you're on a job. But that's not bullying. That's getting a, getting a job yeah, done. Yeah, that's and, authoritative. Uh, I, I'd yeah, like to yep. think I've got... Yeah. You you got to be you got to be switched on when the job's on the job's on. I I got empathy and I'll, I'll look after people and uh, and and that. But uh, sometimes yeah, this is what we're getting paid to do and it's crunch time. So you you struck around calling yourself a homicide detective all year. Well, tonight you're about to uh, earn, earn your stripes as a homicide detective and it's not going to be pretty. So mate, yeah. it's identical to the army. You, you get guys who struggle with the leadership piece, um, and they're like, no no, when the like. When you get close to particular subordinates as well, or, or, or peers, and you're like, no, that you have to delineate yeah. that there is when the job is on, we are we're literally, and then straight after we're, we're beers and fine, and everything's happy. Yeah, yeah, I, no, I, I I get what you're saying there because I people had uh, I hear so many stories about things I supposedly did and didn't do, and these are by people that have never even met me, and it, it's quite frustrating. Oh, we hear you did this, or you went off. At this person, but um, the actual people that uh, work close to me and know me know I'm a big pussy, <laughs> and like you know, I'll uh, I, I, yeah, come across as the uh, as a tough guy at work. But uh, the ones that know me well know that they can wrap me around their little finger, and uh, oh no, it's all right. You take the day off if you need the day off, and you're sure that that type of thing. <laughs> so, but 
that's yeah. I, I think that works. And I had uh, I had some pretty good mentors um, in the cops, and I, I think you would get that in the army. And I consider myself lucky to have um, uh, what I considered good mentors, and uh, they taught me about um, yeah. You earn your respect. It's not just the, the rank. I, I never actually, I, I didn't like ever having to pull rank and I very rarely pulled, pulled rank. I, it's not something I like to do. But there was people that uh, I looked up to in the um, in the cops and uh, I might see them now and they're, they're old men and they're walking around, but I'll still call them boss. And that, that's sort of a, a respect that I, I gave to them that uh, they didn't have to use their rank or their position to uh, get me to do my stuff. I wanted to do stuff because it was the right thing to do and I wanted to impress them. And uh, that's the way I would like to be think, uh, I would like people to think that I approach, uh, approach my work. So, yeah. I mean, that goes back to what we were saying before about the two separate personalities of, of people that, that join the cops and join the, the military. Like one that, that aspires to quick escalation up the rank structure, they generally will, will try and demand respect based on the pictures on their, on their uniform Whereas the other one will earn respect based on actions and have that that kind of um, foundation of love and respect from the people around them. And again, that's two completely different people. But we all know, I think we can all agree that the ones that we look to for mentorship or the ones that we try and surround ourselves with are that second type of people that earn respect. They never have to pull rank on people because it's just not needed. I, I agree with that uh, 100% that uh, I, I see the, the good bosses I, I know are not the ones that, uh, that pull rank. They, they, they walk in, they command authority because of the, the people that they are. You, you can take the stripes, you can take the, the, the rank away from them and they'd still rise, they'd be a leader in that, in that group. The other thing, the ones that um, will do, to, and I don't like to like shitbag all the ones that I, I respect people that, okay, management or that's my stream and, and they follow that path. I, I can respect them and I, I've, I've worked with some that have been great and that, that's been their field. They don't pretend to be operational police officers, but they, they manage the uh, their unit or command very well. So I have no problems with that. What I do have a problem with is the ones that overcompensate for their incompetence by making decisions and going hard at people just on, on the little things because they're too scared to deal with the big <laughs> things. And uh, they, you'll, you'll, never, you'll, you'll never see them at crunch time um, in, the, uh, in the interview room, are we going to charge this bloke or not charge this bloke or what are we going to do here with the crime scene? You'll never see them there. But then they'll come in after, after it's safe and then they'll come in and uh, criticise uh, some uniformed police for not having their caps on or, or something <laughs> like that. They're the ones that annoy me. Um, I'm all for discipline. Like I like, it needs to be structure and discipline, but it's the ones that overcompensate. So make these big decisions about little things just to show that they've got power. And I go, oh, that's great. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. So why the cops and the, the military are the same? I think because we know when the game's on, it's it's crunch time and it's important that decisions yeah, are, are made and are made proper sound decisions. I think you did. Uh, I'm not sure whether it was 34 years in the cops or 34 years in the army because that's it's the same thing, mate. Same thing, mate. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I look. I, I just, I, I get, I get the sense of it, and uh, I, I know, like with the military, or I speak to other police forces or, or whatever, and I, I think it, it's that that same thing. Is it the type that 
is attracted to the army or the first responders in the first place. I, I don't know, but it just seems to be uh, be that way. And uh, the sad, the, well, I, I say the sad thing is that, uh, and I, I think one of you mentioned that the organisations are changing and, and that. I still hope they can value operational uh, operational operatives, whether it's military or police. They need to value those people because they're the people that actually make the organisations look good. And uh, without those people, um, it's just shit ain't going to happen. And I, I've been in some big operations and uh, I, I've just played small parts in those operations. But the success of those operations is not because of the boss. Sometimes it is, sometimes it is. But it could be just one person, yeah, on, on feet on the ground that's making the right decisions at the right time. I remember um, during the Sydney Olympics, um, I was doing close personal protection because I did uh, a lot of tactical policing as well when I was in the, in the cops. And during the Olympics, uh, uh, my role was close personal protection. It was chaos there um, during that, looking after all the heads of state. But the thing that kept it ticking along wasn't the whole um the way it was run from the above it was people making decisions on the ground when they're looking after presidents or prime ministers or, or whatever making decisions on on the fly and that kept it going and uh yeah that's how organizations survive by people um making decisions at uh, all levels at it's the right just time. in the strategic constable digger detective and whether they make the, they've got split seconds to make decisions some and now we and then we can we can armchair crucify yep. him <laughs> afterwards i mean there's some stuff going <laughs> yeah i think that's a problem like we're, we're... well i i yeah i i know what uh what you're talking about now and it's a sad situation all, all around with uh yeah what what's come out and i hope there's some uh sound yeah minds and uh fair minds looking at what what's gone on because i, I i'm certainly not in a position to judge anyone on anything that in environments that i'm not uh not familiar with so yeah it's it's a difficult time for all and uh i likened it to um and i was having a conversation with someone uh today on it and uh, with the and i i don't want to get into uh controversial areas but where um all the medals were going to be taken from a from a unit uh, regardless of uh, direct involvement or, or not. I know when the Police Royal Commission went through, because I was a major crime detective in the in the 90s when the Royal Commission went through New South Wales Police, and, uh, yeah, a lot of shit came out and uh, a lot of, lot of bad stuff. But the initial reaction or one of the suggested reactions was that all detectives should be back put back in the uniform and I, I push back on that like a lot of people uh, push back on it but that was the initial reaction like if, if one or two or a group have done wrong the whole um, reputation of all detectives across the state I don't think that's a fair way of dealing with things it's not uh, you know it's not the a just way of dealing with things so yeah it's a it's a difficult situation and uh, yeah my my thoughts go out to everyone in uh, in situations like that it's a terrible time for everyone yeah, I, I think. I mean, it does. It makes me nervous that we are starting to judge um, cops and soldiers, especially in the roles that were, but that should predominantly be kept behind closed doors. Like that, you have to do things in in life in those positions that should not always be a hundred percent visible to public. And I know that in itself is kind of controversial, but we've moved from mm. a, a, a an era of. Um, getting things done to an era where we are judged by social media and what goes on on TV. And we push, like just recently, we, we're pushing all this information out through the media so that the public can make a decision based off opinion pieces 
And realistically, the public's um, foundation of their understanding of these topics comes from movies or comes from TV shows. So it's essentially like saying, hey, watch one episode of Underbelly, then judge the New South Wales cops on everything they do. Like, it's it's just not possible. And that's yeah. the bit that, that makes me the most nervous. Like we, we've had a lot of conversations, oh, a lot of, a, a couple of conversations in the past when we um, have caught up about the tribe and the purpose and the, the identity piece, talking about how if, yeah. if you join something, i.e. you join the cops, you join the military, that becomes your identity and your purpose. Um, and most... I don't want to speak for everyone, but most uh, of, of our demographic that joined that kind of role hated bullies. They hated they hated big, arrogant people picking on yeah. little guys. And so you join the military to fight against what potentially is that in, in society or that in other countries. Um, at the core of it, you want to help and you want to, you want to self-sacrifice and put other people first. Um, but in reality, the truth is to fight wolves, you kind of need to train wolves or you, I mean, sheepdogs, you don't send sheep to fight wolves. Yeah. So, so in order to, to, to kill that evil or combat that kind of evil that we know is out there, that the public don't, because we only watch movies or TV, you have yeah. to flirt with the line of becoming as big, as bad and as scary as the bad thing that you're up against. Um, and it does, it makes like, so, so we're full circle on this rant that I'm going on. What makes me nervous going forward is when, we have yeah. people like yourself and, and you are saying things like um, there's no place for people like me in, in the modern police force. And there's definitely um, a, a bunch of SF guys out there at the moment going, there is no place for people like me in, in this modern day army. That makes, that scares the shit out of me because yeah. there's no one in the Middle East and there's there's no murderers on the streets of Sydney turning around going, oh, the world's gone PC. I better go PC too. Like they're not changing the, the evil tactics yet the sheepdogs are being forced to change their persona and, and tactics, which is dangerous. I, I, I get what I get what you're saying, Adrian, because I um I, I felt like yeah I had worked through a career where yeah uh, something that used to be uh, celebrated and revered the battle hardened detective been there done that seen everything yeah that type of thing that's who I was and I still had energy um yeah. Doing, doing my work. It wasn't that uh, oh, a tap on the shoulder, hey, you need to retire because you've, you've put the queue in the rack. I was out, out you know, working and I was still as excited as I was the day I joined the cops. But I feel like at, at what I aspire to, now they're saying, oh, we don't want that type in the in the police. For the army, for the cops, I, um, I like I, I speak to um, a lot of people about, uh, yeah, would I join the cops again? Yeah, I love it. But by God, it's a hard, uh, hard job now. In that, when I made a state mistake as a young fella, the sergeant would kick me up the ass and and say, "This is when I was in the cops, not the civilians." They still kicked me up the ass when I was in the civilians. But when I was in the cops, you make a mistake and you get pulled aside and say, "Hey, that's not on. This is not how we do it." You make a mistake in this day and age, and you'll be on social media, and you'll be, uh, and the cops will just throw you out under the bus and go, "It, it shouldn't happen." And uh, yeah, we don't condone that. It's a tough gig at the moment. And uh, yeah, you guys, uh, yeah, go into war zones and you've got cameras on you. It's it, it adds to the pressure. I know when um, I was doing tactical policing, when they first started bringing in, when you, you're going to arrest an armed defender, there's enough pressure on you to start with, going in with loaded firearms and uh, making split second decisions. And when they started filming it, 
I don't know, I felt more pressure. <laughs> like it was just the, the more pressure I, I felt that, uh, okay, well, if I make a mistake here, boy, it's going to be, be a big one and it's going to be out there. So, yeah, that was in the early stages when they started to film us doing uh, tactical stuff. Now it, it's a given that uh, anything you do is going to be caught on camera. And uh, it just adds to the pressure, I think. 100%. And, I mean, maybe one day we'll train people to be able to deal with fighting three fights in, in, in three directions in one instance. But I don't, I don't know. Like getting the number one priority should be preserve life, i.e. your own, as a cop. You're up against someone in a gunfight or they've got a knife or whatever. Yeah. Your sole focus should be on disarming that person. Yeah. If you're then thinking, all right, half my brain's on this dude coming at me with a knife, the other half is on the kid across the street filming it, um, I've got to take this dude down yeah. without hurting his feelings and making sure social media is also happy. That's an impossible task. Well, what, yeah, what, what I feel sorry for the police uh, in this day and age, the, the young police, and this is, it's not a criticism of them, I'm, I'm saying I, I feel sorry for them. When I joined the cops, we had a gun and we had a baton. I think it was 22 inches and it was a steel baton. So when you had a tactical decision to make, it wasn't, wasn't that hard. You start off, you got your fists. Um, you know, if it's going to, 99% of the time in policing, you can de-escalate it, but there's 1% of the time when it's going to get physical. You got your fists to start with, you got your baton, you got your gun. Now they got their uh, OS spray, they got their uh, taser, they they got uh, their extendable baton that you got to pull out and then flick out, and there is so much going on for them. I feel sorry for them, and really, I don't know. Like I know through martial arts and that repetition, repetition. Yeah, you know, to learn a skill, to to learn a skill to um, handling a, a firearm. And the amount of training they get, it's just not, uh, It's I don't think it's sufficient for the type of decisions they're going to make under extreme pressure. And uh, part of my role as a homicide uh, inspector was to um, oversee where there was critical incidents and the critical incidents when uh, police officers have um, killed uh, killed a person and you're going to go in there and, and, and well, investigate it and then present it to the coroner, whether it was, um, you know, everything was done according to plan. I felt so sorry for the police in those situations. They've been in a, a major conflict where someone's life has been uh, taken and then uh, then they've got to justify their actions and those actions are justified in front of high-paid barristers um, that's had the brief of evidence for 12 months and then going to dissect the decisions they've made on, on the fly. It's just a tough gig. We need we need to scrutinise it. I, I, no problems there, but I'm just saying that it's a tough position for uh police to be in and uh, I would imagine in war zones those type of decisions are made more and more frequently and uh, yeah you're going to be judged on them it's, it's difficult they're going to they're going to mess it up man the neural pathways and, and training we train that in combat shooting with your pistol is in the same spot your knife's just behind it so you can pick you've always got the lethal option if they're training like oh hang on this yeah. situation nope tasers on my chest this they I don't know how you train that to be instinctive to save your life if someone's got a knife within seven meters. Like, and and <laughs> I yeah I, mate, it's a World of Warcraft generation. We got I, I agree. Weapons. I agree. You know, yeah, well, yeah. It's uh, which which tactic do you use? Which uh, which option do you use? It, it makes it difficult. And uh, yeah, I, I hope and I know there's an expense associated with it, but yeah, more and more training that's needed. And, we, we also talked emotional intelligence too. And I, I know in policing that uh, quite often you can diffuse situations. I think that's something that should be uh, should be taught. And I think this is where you know, the military and the police are, are probably a different environment. 
Um, but there's times where in policing where you've got to uh, diffuse situations and uh, there, I've seen some people that are just brilliant, the gift of the gab. An angry man could be coming at them and, and they will just diffuse the situation with a bit of humour, a bit of humility, whatever it takes, um, they can diffuse the situation. And uh, I often, uh, I saw some good, um, yeah, the old cranky old sergeants in, in the, well, I hope you don't, guys, you haven't been charged, I have, but uh, if you did, when you're getting... Uh, when you're getting charged, there's the uh, cranky old uh, sergeant in uniform that's been in the charge room 20 years out of his you know, 30-year career and he's probably going to die in the charge room. But I saw some of them that you could get the most angry person dragged in there and he was going to take on the world. First things first, he was just going to beat up every police officer he saw and carry on. And you see these uh, old skilled sergeants that just can talk them down. And I just, I, I take my hat off to them. It's a skill and it's a skill that should be practised. I don't know if uh, if you can learn it. I think sometimes it's just a natural skill set. But uh, they save so many problems in, in policing, just have that uh, the gift of the gab and being able to de-escalate. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a skill set that, that can be learned. Um, I don't know if anyone's got a training model out there for it, but it, you learn it out of survival if you don't, if you're unarmed, and I think that's that was a good argument. I did. I, I filled in one of the boys at, at my this reserve unit in Newcastle ran um, the council ranges for, for one of the councils up near Newcastle, and I filled in for a couple of months a few yeah. years ago. And they they go and one of their main jobs is taking people's dogs off them who have been eating people. So you're going into generally lower <laughs> socioeconomic areas, telling people you're about to take their dog. You're unarmed, obviously. You're a council ranger. Yeah. You've got nothing on you. The most valuable asset I could ever have was a female um, offsider. That's because they, I mean, again, I learned yes, everything from yep. this chick. I, I would have gone into that job thinking if I'm going to go and take a dog from a dude who's probably done time back in the day and I've got to steal his pit bull off him, I want another big dude with me. But that yep. increases the threat to him, gets yes, his back yep. up. You get a, a, a yep. small chick in there and she just talks him down straight away because there is no other option. It's a survival training technique. I don't have I don't have weapons. I can't escalate force. Yeah, this yeah. guy will beat me in a physical altercation. I've got to talk it down. I talk him down, and I learn heaps from having chicks next to me on, on jobs like that. And I think I think that is something we've got to learn. Uh, I I I one hundred percent agree with that. And uh, just to you've you've got to give um, people an out with dignity. We all want to maintain uh, maintain our dignity. And I use the example, you know, some someone in the pub that you've you've been sent into. Uh, uh, someone's been kicked out of the pub and refused to leave, uh, leave. So you can walk in there and you can walk in there with a couple of attitudes. You can walk in there and go, well, if you're not going to leave, the cops are here now and I'm going to drag you out and watch, it, watch you get dragged out. Or you can walk in there and this tough guy's standing there in front of his mates and said, come on, copper, I'll have you. And you go, yeah, look, mate, you probably would beat me, but uh, yeah, I've got to do my job. And even if you beat me, you're still going to get charged or, or whatever. You can de-escalate it. He can look round to his mates, all proud. Look, I gave it to that copper, and uh, walk out with his head held high. That's a way of diffusing the situation, and uh, just simple little things like that. It comes it comes with experience. If you yeah, you go in there as a tough guy first up, and you get the shit beat out of you, and you you, you wake up to yourself. But uh, yeah, little things like that are important. It's all so, ego. Yeah. It's all ego. Every every male's got a massive ego, and if the cops going in there with with trying to protect their own ego up against someone who's causing trouble that's going to protect their ego, you're going to go to guns. But Yeah, uh, look, I, when, the, when the shit hit the fan with me, when these allegations came, came at me, of fight or flight, 
I thought, fuck that, I'm going to fight. Yeah. <laughs> and that, yeah, that, that's my natural instinct. And uh, the smarter people than me said, look, just wait, just dignity, hold, hold back a little bit, don't lash out at people and all that. I'm so thankful I got that advice because I think it, it's held me in, in good stead. I've stood up for myself at the right times, but I haven't just sort of lost it. And, and that's that thing, if you can take the ego away. And I, I think that's... Um, we talk about the experiences with uh, martial arts and, and, and boxing that I've done. The one thing that that does is take my ego away. Like I can get into a ring and the, the skinny little dude will just beat the crap out of me. And so, yeah, that type of thing, you realise that, that's, um, yeah, ego is something that you can put on the back burner and it does save, save uh, confidence. I think I learned that early when I was a young kid, young Thundercat, thought I was 10 foot tall and bulletproof. And I'd go to town and I would be a menace, mate. And then I got and started doing a bit of MMA with some of the boys at work. And as soon as I started, I, I think it come, It was a discipline and it was it was probably the reality check that you could probably get. Because I remember this dude, he was a little five foot, nothing, 50 kilo Luke Hume. He's in the army now and he was a Jedi. And he could kick your head off your shot. And I was like, whoa, maybe I don't know yeah. everything. And even when you do get a bit more confident in your yeah. own abilities, you then can learn to go different. You can go like, I don't need to beat my chest here. We can do things differently. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And that's, I, I like that. And yeah, they had the, yeah, and they've still got them, but the police gyms and, uh, yeah, you send the kid that's uh, got the anger management issues down and teaching boxing and you hear so many stories of that. But I, I reckon you're quite right. Like it's the fact that I, I've learned how to fight has stopped me fighting because I don't feel like I need to yeah. prove myself. Uh, uh, fighting and I, I think that's uh, something that gives you the confidence that you you can de-escalate and uh, I yeah we talk about how to cope with um, uh, pressure at work and that sometimes I'd uh, I'd just take time off or not take time off but I was sick of uh, making decisions so I'd go into the gym and uh, just you know my trainer, the Sifu or whatever might say, well, what do you want to do? And I said, you tell me what to do. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And just sort of switch off that way. And uh, I was over in, uh, I lived over in Perth for a while. I took 12 months off from the cops. And that was a good experience. It sort of just taught me that there is life outside the cops. And uh, I got tied up with some um, professional boxers over there. So I would train, uh, train with them, but also um, a Kung Fu school over there. And it was a very traditional kung fu, and a lot of young uh, Asian Asian kids. And uh, I would uh, I would go to uh, go to the class. I'd get beat up by the boxers to start with, and then uh, come back better than bruised. And then uh, I'd go to uh, kung fu school, and uh, just come home black and blue. But it uh, it certainly uh, balanced me out and gave me some purpose and uh, you know direction, and uh, it just sort of chilled me. So coming coming out of the cops after thirty four years, and you're thinking. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life before, before, you know, mm. what was the transition like for you? Because that you are, that is 30, you are regimented in, what was the transition? What were some of the tools that you use? I mean, you sound like you already had a quite a, quite an extensive toolbox, but. Yeah. I, I, and I, I'm lucky I had that, uh, that toolbox. Cause there was some, uh, there was some dark periods. Like um, I, I was literally, um, yeah at the top of my game, running the, the state, if not the country's highest um, profile investigation. Um, I, three days before I was um, yeah, removed from my duties, I, I was flown up to Tamworth to investigate the shooting of two police officers that got shot on the weekend. 
I came back from Tamworth, then went up to Newcastle. Uh, there was a murder up there, and I oversaw the the um, murder investigation up there at Newcastle. That's how I spent the weekend and the Monday. So that's you know that's living life as a uh, police officer. Then on the Tuesday at work, I get these papers served on me and uh, get my gun taken off me. Um, not allowed to go back into my office, not allowed to go to my desk, not allowed to drive a police car, not allowed to talk to any of the victims and not to talk to any police. So you don't get more of a uh, you know, ripped from your uh, environment than, than that. I was told you'll probably go, you'll, you might, you're going off sick. And I said, no, I haven't had a sick day in 34 years. I'm not going off sick now. I'll put my suit on, I'm going to turn up and then we'll, you work out what, uh, what's done. And that's what I said to the senior police that did this to me. They put me in a room for three months, and it was a room that uh, it was it was like a caged lion because it was just a, there was no windows, there was a glass door, and it was in a hallway walking to the boss's office. So it just I was there to be humiliated, and I sat there, and uh, I thought, well, I'm not going to be humiliated. I wasn't allowed to work on work on anything. I just had to sit there. So I played whale music and meditation music, and thought, well. <laughs> You think you're going to break me? I'm not not going to break. And uh, I think that annoyed uh, annoyed the police, people that were trying to break me. So I, I sat there, and uh, then when uh, I'd been over to uh, how my last day of the police, I'd actually been over to uh, Portugal because my son was serving in uh, Afghanistan, and uh, you guys know my son uh, Jake and. Uh, he had his uh, two-week break and he was uh, going over to Portugal. So we went over there for a two-week uh, surfing trip. And I just, when we were over there, I, I just had a sense, I was whinging about my circumstances and Jake pointed out, well, he's in a war zone. I said, okay, you've trumped me. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was uh, no, no debate there. But I said, but I'm doing it pretty tough back in Sydney. And uh, when, I got, uh, when I got back within three hours of landing in Sydney, I was told that they're going to charge me after being told I wouldn't be charged. And... Uh, then uh, that was the last day that uh, I was a police officer. So it was just sort of ripped away from me. And uh, I lost my identity to a degree. You know, I, I, I was a policeman. That was everyone identified with me as a policeman. That's how I lived my life. I, I was lived and breathed my work. So I had to work out how to deal with it. So I, um, when I say there was dark times, and the first couple of days I just sat there and I was numb. Like I, I was really numb and I thought, how the fuck am I going to dig myself out, out of this? And I thought, okay, you've got to train. And so I started doing a bit of uh, bit of training. And then it sort of gave from cycles. I'd have my highs, I'd have my lows. And uh, I thought, well, I've got to fight this. So I put my energy into fighting this. But then it was a sense of isolation too because I wasn't allowed to speak to anyone. So the, the world that I operated in where I'd, you know, meet with and speak to probably you know 30 or 40 people a day on a regular regular basis so i didn't have that so i had to keep uh, keep purpose in my life and uh, what i did was just i trained i thought this is going to be a battle i need to be fit so i trained and got up and uh, trained in trained in the morning and sometimes i'd do two sessions and that was just my way of uh, dealing with it i thought well if they're gonna if i'm gonna fight i'm gonna be fit when i fight and uh then looked at defending the allegations against me. Um, and then I got, um, I got work in the media, which is um, that sort of gave me an option outside the cops. So I was approached by that. So that was something that I was interested in. And uh, 
and started channeling my energy there because I'm always one for paying your dues. And uh, I've sort of been thrown in as a given a chance to work in the media. So I sort of threw my energy into that. It was around that time I met you, Adrian, and uh, I, uh, um, that was a sort of um, first article I'd written outside of you know, my area of expertise and uh, knowledge about, uh, about policing and uh, criminal investigation. But meeting Adrian, and I, I still remember when we sat down and had that coffee because Jake had told me the type of stuff you guys were doing with uh, Swiss 8, and uh, it just resonated with me, like the lost tribe. <laughs> you know, you've, uh, I've lost my tribe, and I could understand it. And then those, what I call, you know, simple practices and sometimes the simple things are the most complicated, but just keeping structure to your life. So that's probably the way I tried to deal with it, Mex, is um, keep structure to my life and, um, yeah, see where it took me from, took me from there. I, can't, I cannot believe that is, that is not even, that is absolute shock of capture. Like literally give me your badge, give me your gun, don't go to the office, don't drive a car. Sit at the desk, mate. That is fucking. Sit in a room by yourself with <laughs> oh, no one else around you. That is act- that is a, a, a documented torture technique. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I didn't break. Yeah, exactly. I sat there because when we talk about, <laughs> I um, yeah, the- I like I laugh about it, but guys, it was and and to add to it, there was a public humiliation because they released it to the media. And so I was travelling home one day and I got a call from a journalist and uh, said, blah, blah, blah. And I said, how did you get this? And it's been confirmed. So all those details. So then I had to deal with the, the public humiliation. And, and you know, I, I had my mother crying. I had, you know, people ringing up and, uh, and that. It, it was pretty hard, hardcore. But, um, yeah, if anything, I just thought, well, the one thing I can do is just hold my head high and that they win if they break me. So that, that sort of drove, drove me along. And, and I had a lot of good support from uh, uh, people uh, people around me. Um, but the thing that hurt me was that people within my tribe, as in the police, the ones that supported me were ostracised as well. And uh, some of them uh, ended up uh, leaving the positions they were in because uh, they had uh, their crime was that, that they supported me or spoke up for me, and uh, that wasn't allowed. So when your organ, when your own organisation turns on you, but I suppose to balance it out, I could walk along the street and there'd be a cop that I, I don't know that would approach me and say, "Hey, yeah, we're with you on uh, what's going on. We think it's a, a terrible," and, and people reaching out. I had um, I had some uh, people I'd put inside and some informants and. Uh, one in particular that said, uh, "Hey, brother, if you go back inside, I'm coming. Uh, uh, if you go inside, I'm coming back inside to look after you." <laughs> and uh, so I had uh, had some uh, uh, yeah funny funny moments like that. And uh, I think you you might have seen that there was headlines. I'd rather go to jail than pay a fine. Yeah, yeah. And that was um, <laughs> quoted. <laughs> yeah, and my my le- my legal team said, "Jesus, you're a hard client to, to manage." But look, I. I was uh, I was serious on that, and to put it in the context, it was um, I was fined ten thousand uh, dollars for these uh, these offences, and the offences nothing was shown. That I was doing it to benefit myself or or whatever. It was investigating a uh, very serious crime, and my view was that uh, if I'm that bad, you should send me to jail. Don't find me, and uh, I I stuck with that, and I think it probably to my detriment. Like no one was going to um, you know cut me some slack if, if that's the attitude because I'm not showing any contrition. But uh, 
I still still meant it, and uh, I, I I I stand by it, and uh, that was my way of maintaining my um, dignity, and that was my way of fight, fighting back. That uh, here I am, I'm standing here, I'm not ashamed. And so when I went to court each day, uh, I walked in with my head held high. Um, I had uh, Jake supporting me and my daughter uh, Gemma supporting me and walked in the court. And a lot of uh, victims' families and even some um, old offenders uh, turned up and uh, supported me as I'm, I'm walking into uh, court. So yeah, but it was a it was a it was a tough gig. It's not something that uh, yeah I'd want to go through. And even now, there are some times where I, I, I there, there's anger that. I think, yeah, a job was done on me and I, I get angry. But then I think, well, the best form of uh, getting back at the people that have done this to me is just show that uh, I've got on with my life. And so that, that's what I'm trying to do. Did you have a Catholic moment when you're standing there? I mean, you wouldn't have to go in cuffs, obviously, but to stand there and be like, yeah. fuck, I'm on the other side of... <laughs> yeah, I... <laughs> most, most definitely, most definitely, but it was it was a, a, a strange experience because it was it was almost like a circus, but it was a humiliating circus. And I, I'd walk in there, and uh, I would think, okay, well, everyone knows what this is about. It's not an offence I'm ashamed of. It's an offence that this is this is what I did. I I, I told everyone. I got I I participated in interviews, but yeah, sometimes I'm just sitting there. And I was sitting at the, the, the bar table. I was allowed to sit at the bar table. I was sitting with um, my barrister was Margaret Canine, who's a, a high-profile uh, barrister. And I've sat with her in court many a time. We've been prosecuting murderers. And at, at some points in time when the court matter's going on, I'm thinking, hold it, wake up. This is your, your trial. And uh, so it was, <laughs> it was a bizarre experience. It was humiliating. It was degrading, but the only way I could deal with it is, get, is front up to it. And uh, I, there was no slinking through the back door of the court for me or whatever. I was disappointed that no uh, serving police officer turned up to support me. And that really, um, I, I, I won't say made me angry because I don't have the expectations, but I know in the past, even if someone's been charged of a horrendous offence, people turn up, but no one's allowed to turn up and support I me. just thought there was um, the premise which of I thought innocent was, until guilty, right? Well, I, I, I thought that too, but uh, yeah. And that they had uh, other police turning up to protect witnesses um, at my court matter. I, I'm, I'm thinking what my crew, my 80-year-old my mother and my, my children were going to take out the witnesses. Like <laughs> it, it just it seemed ridiculous. And uh, I even had the, the – and the low point, the low point was when uh, my mother her, got harassed by a police officer uh, at court and I thought, I haven't even done that with um, yeah, the worst criminals I've put away. I always treat the mothers with respect or the families with respect. They haven't done anything. They're suffering too. And uh, there was a, a couple of issues that arose there and I just thought, Jesus, this is digging low. So when you feel like an organisation's turned on you to that extent, that's when it hurts. But, like, it balances out. And as I said, guys, I, I'm going from here and uh, uh, once I start talking, I... I tell everything I, I told you I had an appointment I'm going for a catch-up with uh, people I used to work with old uh, old detectives and they sort of put it in perspective and we're going to talk shit and our stories will be bigger and better and uh, than they, they actually were but you're allowed to do that when you're uh, you've retired and, uh, and and tell the stories but it's been the experience would I want to go through it again I, I'd pr probably prefer to avoid it but uh, I think it's made me a better person um, it certainly made me 
look a little bit more objective on uh, you know, what it's like to have the power of the state against you. Um, and that sounds unusual, but I've, I've sat on the other side and now I, 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 I think I have some more understanding of people that have been uh, put before the courts and how traumatic it is because I, I think I said to Jake as we're walking, uh, walking to court when they were going to hand down the verdict and uh, we're walking through the tunnel at uh, um, Museum Station and uh, it felt like I, I've been walking, walking to the gallows and I was saying to him, could you imagine how it would be if you were waiting for a verdict to come back for a murder charge or something serious where you get you seriously your life is going to end? Like I, I don't know how people handle that uh, that pressure. I know because you have like literally when we said the most for, for people uh, in in our audiences the most one of the most celebrated detectives in Australia, you have put away uh, like there was the serial killings the three Aboriginal children in 1990s. Yeah. Um, you did the, yeah. the – And that's uh, – Like you've put away some absolute murderous, evil people, right? I, yeah. I, I've, 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 look, I, I've worked and when I say – and it's important uh, when I'm, I'm talking about my work that it's, a, it's always a team environment. But uh, I've been in teams that uh, have done this. I've been in teams as a junior person. I've been in teams leading, leading the team. And uh, – that's what we did. I, I, you know, I got paid to uh, catch killers, and uh, uh, yeah, I thought it was a pretty cool, cool job. And that's uh, I sort of threw myself into into it, uh, into it big time. And uh, yeah, I, I don't think I'd be too popular on the inside um, in uh, in the the prisons. But um, yeah, I've always thought I've been fair in the way that I, I went about my work. I, I, I go hard. I make no apologies for that. But it's always within the rules, and uh, it, it's it's fair. Uh, I, I've, a couple of times over the years, I've put crooks away, and uh, they'll reach out after they get outside and you know, talk about things, and uh, it's quite interesting the, uh, the the relationships. But yeah, I'm I'm proud of my career, um, and I think that's helped me too. And uh, like I wrote, uh, I, I wrote a book after uh, that was another thing that was uh, fairly cathartic for me. Uh, writing a book that was something I did to keep myself uh, busy after. Uh, I lost my uh, lost my career, but I, I'm proud of the work I, I've done and the fact that uh, I've had uh, so many people support me. It makes me feel, yeah, it, it helps. It helps. It uh, makes you feel like you've been doing doing the right thing for the right reasons. Hundred so. percent, mate. You um, I mean, you've you've gone through a scenario that is worse. Not not to try and overemphasize it, but worse than the majority of people in, in, in the world or in Australia, especially in the veteran community, losing or getting isolated from your team, tribe, losing your identity, losing purpose. You you probably could, people could forgive you for spending the rest of your life standing still and resenting and hating and, and spitting venom at the way people people treated you. But it seems, which I think is a massive testament to your character, it seems that you've looked at it gone. I will, I will give a shit about the things that I can impact. I'll look inwards. I'll try and fix some of my stuff and I'll move forward and keep growing. I think if, if nothing else, like that is a lesson we want to, I mean, that isolation identity and, and purpose is the, the building blocks of what we're trying to help the veteran community with. Um, but that message in itself, no matter how shitty your situation is or how, no matter how much you could just stand there and blame the brass or blame the government or blame whoever, you haven't done that. You've gone, no, I'm going to, take my licks and then find a way for me to move yeah. forward. That's that's a message that we need to be pushing out hard and fast with with the, the younger generation, I think. Well, it, it, it made me uh, made me 
take stock of the situation. Like it really did. Like th this could have destroyed me. And you know, it was a fine line between whether I let it destroy me or not. This could, I could have lost my shit over this and fuck it and just hate hate the world. But I looked at it and thought, okay, there's one person. There's one person that's got the the full control here, and that's you. How how you uh, how you deal with this? Even to the point with you know people that uh, betrayed me, um, in that uh, yeah were, were part of this. I could go through life hating them, or maybe I just forget about them and uh, just just move on. And uh, I I I've got to add um, yeah it's the people around me that I, I I take advice in situations like this because my natural instinct I just yeah I'm a passionate person I just yeah get angry and go fuck this I'm going for them and then. <laughs> That's my initial reaction, and then I'm old enough and wise enough to now to know take a step back and and yeah you know, have have a think how to approach it. But I think with you guys, like the veterans and the 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 things that you can make uh, make choices on, and uh, it, that's why I um really enjoyed writing that article about you guys and the work that you were doing. In that it really made sense to me. It really I, I understood it the moment you started talking about. It, I'm thinking, especially my situation at the time so i was yeah hyper alert about all the things you were talking about and it does make sense uh dealing with it that way and you lose loose structure and uh i spoke to uh i, I spoke to jake and i to make sure it's right that i, I mentioned this I, I know when he's been deployed when he was deployed up in um darwin and then uh afghanistan some of the changes i saw in him and i think it was his uh darwin uh deployment when he came back, he had two or three weeks off before he had to go back to uni or, or do what he was doing. And I said, mate, that's great. You got uh, three weeks and he was hanging out at my place a bit. And uh, I said, what are you going to do? And he said, I don't know. And I said, but you've been, <laughs> you've been on a boat, you've been this, you've been that. Now you've got all the time in the world to just do what you want, go for a surf or that. He was frustrated with how many choices he had because he'd all that become almost institutionalised in that he was... I don't want to make a decision. I didn't have to make a decision. I was told to get up at this time. You, you, you know, rendezvous here, this and that. And I thought that was an interesting, uh, interesting time. And uh, I know when we we're over in uh, over in Portugal as well. That uh, yeah, this is this is great. We hadn't had a time like that where two of us could catch up in that that environment. I was whinging about my shit, but. Um, he was, uh, I, I won't say he let his hair down completely, but he was sort of still, his mind was back where, he's, uh, where his mates were. And that was part of uh, when you do leave an organisation like that. I see on the, on the TV now, yeah, there's a murder or a suspicious death or whatever. And I think, geez, I'd, I'd like to be at that, uh, that spot now. But I've just got to let that go. I, I think we're, uh, we all have our time and place. And then you've just got to look on to uh, other things. The other um, lesson I've, I've learnt in what's happened to me, and I, I yeah, I'm, I'm sounding too philosophical now. It's probably not what I really believe, but I'm, I'm thankful this happened to me because um, I'm, I'm not thankful. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh. what um, it's given me a chance to work in the media. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm doing the podcast, which that's that's been great. Um, I'm uh, did the book, and I'm, I'm writing articles, and I'm doing all all sorts of stuff. And it's given me new opportunities, and it's given me a, a sort of new lease on life. Because I think if I stayed in the cops, I was too stubborn to let cases go. So I just oh, look, I'll stay around till I solve this one or solve solve that one. 
the thing that I haven't, I'm speaking fairly lightly on, on it, but the thing that's hurt me probably more than anything in, in leaving the cops, and I would imagine when you guys are doing uh, what you consider to be worthwhile work and if it's taken away from you for whatever reason, I, I feel like I've let the victims down because there, there's victims that I promised I would do everything I could and now I can't help them. There's some of the cases that uh, I've, I've left that uh, haven't been solved, William Tyrrell one in particular. Um, I, I still speak to uh, William's parents regularly and uh, his foster parents and uh, we, we still stay in touch. Um, but, yeah, those things niggle me. But uh, you, are in, you are, are in control of your own destiny, aren't you? So you, you've got to make a choice. And uh, uh, there's nothing brilliant about me. I'm, I'm stubborn, I'm stupid and all that. But I, I do learn and I, I make – I eventually like to think I come to the right decision. So. Yeah, let's go. I mean, so transitioning to the media, there's a big thing in defence transitions at the moment saying we've got to get everyone jobs when they get out. And I'm like, I think we're missing the mark here. It's not jobs, it's purpose. It was, was having that gig in the media, was that the, the, your new purpose now going forward, telling stories? Yeah, it most most definitely because I... I, if I if I didn't go into the media, they they even shut because of uh, this. I can't get my private investigator's license, so they they really did a job on me and shut my uh, all my earning capacity down as well. So uh, yeah, I I was a tradesman before I joined the police, but I, I'm too old and uh, too stubborn to go back on the tools uh, tools now. But um, I with the media, I've I've always had an interest in the media, and it, it's something that uh, it's not dissimilar to the police in that you can put uh, you can put your energy into it, and it's unlimited the amount of time and effort you can put into uh, what you're doing. But it felt like something worthwhile to me, and it was challenging to me, uh, and I wanted a challenge. I didn't want to do something that uh, it was too easy for me because I, I'd get to the point where I think, oh well, I'm not going to put the effort in. But with the media, um, it, it, it was a challenge to me, and uh, I was scared. Like, well, I say was. I, I still am scared when I'm doing some stuff in the media because it's a new new world for me. But it's challenging me, and it, it's uh, I like to like to push uh, push myself. So it's something that uh, I think uh, I can do some good, and uh, yeah, it, it's something that I've found interesting. Because you've got, from, oh, sorry, oh no, yeah. go, mate. I was just going to say, from from the perspective of we, we've had a few different media outlets do interviews for different reasons at different times. Um, having someone like yourself with lived experience who kind of gets the mentality of the demographic that we're um, helping and representing, mate, the the trust is the biggest issue I see when, when people come to us and ask to, to to record radio interviews or do stories for papers. I am on edge. It's like what we are talking about before with the young cops, with a dude with a knife and then also a social media camera. You're like, if I say one thing wrong here, if I fuck this up, we're sunk. And they're probably going to edit it and butcher it and make me look like a dick. But when I sat down to do that, that I had a, the chat with you, I was like, there was full trust. And I'm like, everything I say is going to be depicted with the correct intent, the correct tone, because you understand yeah. me as a person and, and, and our demographic. I think it's a massive positive for whatever media outlets you're going to be working with, um, to have someone with lived experience like yourself as the storyteller. Yeah, well, thank, thanks for that, Adrian. And that, that, that means a lot. And uh, one thing that uh, I, I probably, like I've been offered doing uh, different things and I, I, I could have sold out and taken taken the money and all that, but uh, I think my integrity would have been, yeah, shot, uh, yeah, a game show host or whatever. I don't know. I, there's a lot, lots of things I could have done, but it didn't really resonate with me. 
So the fact that you, you talk on the life's experience, I'd like to think that's what I can bring in that that media world. That uh, and look, I, I'm 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 the babe in the woods. With I, I see some journalists, and you see what a skill set is, and they can put a story together. For me to put a story together, it, ta it takes time, but. I'd like to, um, yeah, just put that effort in and keep that in integrity. But uh, I do understand what you guys uh, went through, and I, I say it to to you guys here: the fact that the timing of it almost felt, um, yeah, it was right that we met at that time because uh, a lot of what you said, I thought, I get this, and it, it put in perspective what had happened to me, and that. Uh, because you're a little bit, I was a little bit disorientated the way it happened. You know, sort of ripped from your organisation. I'm thinking, what, what the hell was that? Is this just a bad dream? But uh, speaking to you and, and then having a look at what you guys have been doing, it made me understand a little bit more of uh, what uh, what I was feeling. So it, it went both ways. There so. Mate, I appreciate uh, everything. And talking about your podcast, you've got a pretty bit, uh, I Catch Killers, the podcast, and a book by the same title. Yeah. Was that? Yeah, was it, yeah. What was it like your first your first episode doing that podcast? Uh, look, this is. I'll, I'll tell you. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> With the uh, News Corp um, signed me up, and uh, part of, part of it was uh, to do uh, podcasts, and I said right, and yeah, they were looking at the you know teachers' pet format and those type of uh, type of podcasts, and I said, look, one thing that. Uh, I feel comfortable with is telling stories. You know, I, I've got a thousand stories, but I know all these other uh, all these other police that have got some uh, stories. So I phoned up my mate uh, Jason Evers, and he was my partner for uh, ten years in the cops, and uh, he was uh, yeah he's out he's out of the cops uh, out of the cops now. But I thought, look, let's just try this, and it's quite ironic that uh, I got kicked out of the cops, or not kicked out. I left the cops because of, I was recording, and now I turn up at studios and uh, record everything. Yeah, like so the irony's not lost there. But part of my part of my thing with uh, recording these uh, telephone uh, uh, on the telephone, I, I, everyone sort of laughed because my technology is so hopeless. So the first podcast I did with Jason, I phoned him up and he agreed to it, so I recorded it. And then when I was downloading it, I lost the whole thing. And I had told the people I'm reporting to at the Sunday Telegraph, I'll have a demo tape um, tomorrow morning. And so I, I locked this in and it was gold. Jason and I were on fire. We did this hour and a half conversation. Could not be repeated. It, it could not repeat how, how good it flowed. And then uh, I'm playing with the computer and I've gone, fuck, I've lost it. And uh, so I had to ring Jason at 5 a.m. in the morning and he's, he's woken up and said, mate, you know the podcast we did? We've got to do it again. He's gone, I've got to go to work. I said, no, <laughs> you've got to do this podcast. So we had to do the whole podcast thing again. And uh, I took it in and uh, they listened to it and they liked it. And I think what they liked about it was the rawness of it. And, yeah, I, I'm not uh, – I'm, I'm learning my way with podcasts as, as you guys are and it, it's a different sort of forum. But uh, I think what – resonated with the public was it was genuine and uh it's not just the cops i've, I've got on i'm now getting uh, i've had some bikies and informants and uh victims and all sorts of people on and I, i've enjoyed it as i i'm sure you guys are finding that the long form conversation i i interviewed a lot of people that uh i knew very well but i was learning stuff from them in the fact that i had to, not had to but i was sitting down having a conversation with them in long form for a couple of hours and actually listening to what they were saying and then uh, you know, playing, uh, 
having the conversation. So it's something I've enjoyed. And then the um, I Catch Killers, the, the book, I got approached to write a book by a lot of, lot of people. It wasn't something I, I was going to do. And this is even before I left the cops. But um, in light of the way my reputation was sort of uh, tarnished and all the you know, rumour speculation and, and stuff that was going on about me, I thought, well, stuff it. I'm going to tell my story and th this is my story. And uh, I, I, it, it helped putting it in words. And uh, I wrote it with uh, a, a bloke I knew, Dan Box. He's based over in London, but he was a crime reporter and uh, I had a lot of respect for him. And he... Um, I knew he'd call me on my bullshit, like he wouldn't let me fluff over any of the difficult stuff, talking about relationships or, or whatnot. And when I first finished the book, you're pretty nervous. And uh, the first couple of people that uh, read it, they came back to me and said, geez, it's very raw and honest. And I've gone, shit, what have I put in there? Uh -oh. <laughs> and uh, so that, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I suppose that's good, but geez, it's very raw and honest. Are you okay? That type of comment. I'm thinking, <laughs> Jesus, I better read this book again and have, have a look. But uh, no, it, it's been uh, been a good experience, and I think I think it helped it helped me. And and you guys talk about what do you do after you leave the military. I think if you got something to go to and and something to channel your energy into, it helps a lot because. Why I'm doing that, I'm not thinking about, oh, Jesus, the cops did this to me and, and yeah, I, I should be bitter and twisted. So I think it helps to move on in, in that regards. So, yeah, but it, it's interesting, the media. It's an inter interesting world. And it's, um, I know they get a bad rap on a lot of things, but I see a lot of people make big decisions. And I've actually said in the media, I'm making more, I'm seeing more moral decisions in the media than I, I did in the police. In the police, it was fairly simple like I was out to catch a killer so that was my mission that's what I'm doing I'm seeing the people that uh in the media sometimes they've got to make judgment calls do we tell this story or don't we tell this story and uh there's a lot of gray area there and I, I find that more challenging than uh yeah being able to switch on and switch off straight away so oh that'd be an interesting perspective I'm glad there's some media some some moral judgment lines because you, you know once again, it's like people outside judging detectives and police officers or outside judging uh, the military. And I guess we all, I mean, I do, tarnish the media. I'm like, ah, oh, they just, they'll sell any story, the vultures. But if there's that moral compass of do we tell this story, do we not, it'd be nice to see which stations. It'd be good to get someone on it. It's interesting. That, that's that that's interesting because I hadn't thought that way and and you're quite right like we get in the police we get pigeonholed and you know if someone does something we're all that way and I look at the, what the cops have done and and that that they've you know beat up this person or, or done that everyone gets brandished with that same with you guys with the military what what's uh, uh, what happens with the military you know if someone does something and there and that perception of the media was. Because I, I knew a lot of journalists when I was in the media and I saw them as ethical people. And uh, I know they've got a job to do and sometimes the, the lines are, are blurred. But um, I'm pleasantly surprised and uh, I like working at the Sunday Telegraph and, and working on the floor there before COVID hit and seeing some of the decisions that were being made and, um, and that I was so impressed. And I, I was working, the person I was reporting to was uh, Claire Harvey and uh, I, I loved uh, working with her and, and learning from her in the, the decisions and they were sound decisions that she was making and then the editor, Mick Carroll, making some uh, 
big decisions and people might not always agree with it but uh there is discussion had it's not just uh what can we get on the get on the front page so they understand the consequences and there certainly is a power to the media as well i'm very mindful of uh very mindful of that and that's why if I put my name to something, I want to be something that I, I truly believe in. I, I, I can't write an article if I, I don't believe in it. And Claire made the point that uh, I seem to write best when I'm angry. <laughs> Go figure. Like <laughs> she said, if she whips me up about something, I could write the article. And if I'm not angry, I can't, I can't write the article. But I like to be passionate about what, what I do. But, uh, yeah, the media is an interesting, interesting world to uh, work in. We'll see how it plays out in the uh, in the coming months, I suppose, especially with our predicament. Well, the predicament that's yeah. going through, but uh, yeah, mate. Yeah, uh, it, look, I hope, I hope on that they, I hope on that it, it comes across balance because there's always, you know, it's such a such a big uh, big issue. So yeah, I'll, I'll be all we'll all be watching that for sure. Well, mate, we're gonna have to get you back on. Uh, uh, you know, if you if you want to, because there's some stories in there we haven't yeah. even we haven't even scratched the surface. But I'm I'm glad you took the time out of your day to jump on, mate. It was an absolute honour talking to you. Um, and make sure you go and check out his podcast and his book, I Catch Killers. Right. Likewise, guys. Look, thanks very much for having having me on. I, I really appreciate it, and uh, I love the work you guys are doing. I think it's so important. So good stuff.